Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you, as always, by InsideThePenguins.com, a proud affiliate of the Hockey News. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined, as always, by Nick Horwat. We got a good show for you guys today. Very newsy weekend for the Pittsburgh Penguins. We had a couple of days off. We haven't been able to react to the Yarmir Yager opportunity and news that has been announced on Friday. We didn't react yet to Tom Barrasso, who was elected and, and inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame last night. We'll talk about all of that. And of course, on the ice, the Pittsburgh Penguins are winners of four straight. So we got a lot to talk about with the team now, the team in the past, and the future of the team as well. So let's get into it, Horwat. Obviously, the Penguins are winners of four straight games coming into tonight's matchup against the Columbus Blue Jackets, and it's how they're winning, too. It's not like there's a uh, similar result in these ones. You have a 10-2 blowout victory over a lowly Sharks team that did win a couple of games the following week, so maybe the Penguins got them on the right track. Uh, A 2-0 win over a red-hot Anaheim Ducks team. They just stifled them at every chance they got. A 4-3 overtime victory in L.A. against the Kings. And a 4-0 victory over the Sharks on... Sharks? The Sabres on Saturday evening. So with all four of these wins and the Penguins kind of climbing out of the hole that they put themselves in in October, what have you seen change between October and now a a 4-0 start to the month of November? I mean, depending on who you ask, the answer is literally everything. Um, I And I can totally understand and see where they're coming from with that. There's been certain adjustments to the lineup that have made worlds of difference to certain lines. I mean, we're still sitting here with Ricardo Raquel without a goal, but for what it's worth, Evgeny Malkin is on a career pace somehow. On a, just at the age of 37, just on this unbelievable pace that um, he has never put up before, or at least he did once in his rookie season. He's on a career-level pace, so a career-defining pace. Uh, And Riley Smith is... Is, is the wingman right now. And I'm sure Ricard Raquel's still waiting on something to really click for him. But uh, that line has done pretty good despite Raquel's, you know, uh, holdbacks. First line needs no introduction. Doesn't even really need to be talked about. That third line's starting to wake up offensively a little bit, starting to find more of a groove. And Vinny Henestrosa has honestly made a world of difference for the fourth line, and it's only been a couple of games. And by world of difference, I mean... There's at least a little bit more of a speed aspect. He seems to want to shoot the puck a hell of a lot, which is really good. Um, 
and just seems to bring more more juice into this lineup. Uh, the defense has been uh, pretty solid. That third pairing, it's all of a sudden a competition again. Just kind of fun, kind of entertaining to keep an eye on who's in and who's out. I know it's been steady for the past couple of games, but um, I was chatting with Ryan Shea in the locker room yesterday that uh, there's definitely still that comp- that competitive vibe in, in that third pairing specifically, and um, it's what should make everyone on that in that position you know him uh p.o joseph is in there chad ruedel's in there john ludwig might work his way back in there it makes all of them better as a whole so that's only getting better and uh when are we ready to have the tristan jari's really good at hockey conversation let's have it right now i mean let's look at tristan jari and what he's been able to do he was very outspoken following the four to three loss on home ice to the Anaheim Ducks a few weeks back, that he needs to be better. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at the game before that, he allowed three goals on nine shots to the Ottawa Senators, and everybody was wondering, I mean, is, is he injured again? What's wrong with him? Can you believe the Penguins gave him five years, $5 million? And since then, he's been nothing short of spectacular. 3-0-0 in his last three games played, a 9.75 save percentage in those ones, 0.66 goals against, because he's allowed two goals in the last three games that he's played, and... He's got credited for one shutout, which was Saturday against the Sabres. But realistically, he should have at least half or two-thirds of a shutout added to his resume because of the Ducks game because uh, he had a combined shutout, the fifth in Penguins history, alongside Magnus Helberg, who played the third period. But Tristan Jari, not just making the saves, not just you know making the timely saves, but making all of mm-hmm. them. Like It's not just timely, it's all of them. And he's doing this while playing very, you know, confident and looking really good not to mention that he's dealt with an injury in the middle of all this where he couldn't even see so uh, to bounce back from that miss only one game from getting hit in the face with a shot with his helmet off and and coming back and then playing as well as he had not missing a beat and seemingly getting better after that uh, it's certainly an impressive run here for Tristan Jari and the Penguins are hoping considering how how volatile goaltending can be they're hoping that this becomes uh, the rule and not the exception. Yeah, you want this to become your consistent pace. Uh, he, if you if you want to put it into a really fun perspective, he hasn't given up a he hasn't given up a goal in a week and a half. Chief. I know the Penguins have played a handful of games in between. I mean, they played one game completely without him, and there was that combined shutout. But he hasn't let up a goal since that San Jose game, which is about a week and a half ago. So that's a long perspective way of looking at it, but just also. Um, Showing how good he has been this year, at least in the recent run. Uh, and he started the season off fairly well. There's not much you can do with the Chicago game, I think. All first games are going to be sort of a welcome to the season. It really is a coin flip no matter who the team is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he followed that up with a shutout in Washington immediately after. Now we know why. I mean, Washington looks damn good now. So like we can't even say you, know, you beat, you shut out a very poor Washington team. Washington's won a couple of games, so they're up there uh and that, so because he, he followed that ho- home opener up with the washington shutout and then things had went off the rails for a little bit but he was able to pull it back in against san jose and as much as it was san jose and it was a 10 to 2 win um there was something about that san jose game that was needed right it was the mm-hmm. we needed to prove we can do this we talked about this la- last week when it happened the penguins needed to prove they can win that sort of game they can beat the opponents they're supposed to beat um, and that finishing is possible. They did it ten times in that in that game, so they have that ability to do it. And now it is a matter of carrying it over, which they've done very well. 
clearly as the shutout streak for Jari reaches well over 100 minutes. I forget what it's at exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but the team looks good. The team looks successful around him, and they're all chipping in, and it's all getting uh, put on the proper direction. Yeah, you mentioned this all starting for the Pittsburgh Penguins, this turnaround when they beat the living crap out of the San Jose Sharks. I mean, go back to the longest yard. It's it's exactly what Paul Crew, as Adam Sandler said, or Adam Sandler's Paul Crew said. He said, you know what we would do at the beginning of the season? We'd play some crap Division Two team, kick the living crap out of them, get our confidence up, and get us started on the right path. That's exactly what the Penguins kind of did. They, they beat the crap out of a, a team that is considered right now an NHL team, but could probably be more aligned with some AHL teams this season. And, you know, you beat the crap out of them 10-2. to 2. It's a good game for Eric Carlson. He gets his confidence up, getting his feet underneath him, getting that over with and done with because that return could be something that's built up for a player, especially somebody that spent as much time as Carlson did in San Jose as the face of that franchise. So, you know, you get through that, and then you look at some of these wins. I mean, the Ducks were on a six-game winning streak. The Kings were on a four-game winning streak. The Sabres might not have been on a winning streak, but this is a team that has a lot of young talent right now and is a team that's not going to be an easy uh, easy team to beat this season. So the Penguins are playing some pretty good competition, and they're elevating their game, which is important because you look at the, you know, the schedule coming up, which I'm sure we'll talk about today. We'll talk about a lot on Thursday because that's when it really starts is after this game tonight against Columbus, which, yes, they do have some talent, but they're not expected to to really do very much this season you look at the teams that are coming in after them you got Carolina you got New Jersey you got Vegas you got uh did I mention the Rangers next week you have at the end of the month you have Buffalo again which makes it difficult because when you play a team in that short of succession they know some things about you they're a little bit more fresh to what you like to do so that becomes a little bit more of a difficult game you have Tampa at the end of the month you have Nashville that's never a team that rolls over so the schedule in the back half of November is pretty intense. And when you're talking about a team that started as slow as the Penguins did in October, they needed a really good November because as everybody knows, by the time you get to American Thanksgiving, you really want to be at least in a playoff spot by then to put yourself in position to finish in a, in a good spot because the Penguins, yes, at the end of the day, all you want to do is make the dance. You want to make the playoffs, something they weren't able to do last season. Once you do that, as the Florida Panthers showed, anything is possible. But Kyle Dubas, as we'll talk about more, has put a big emphasis on finishing in the top three in the Metropolitan Division. That's when you put yourself in the best position, is when you're in those top threes. Specifically when you're in the top two and you get home ice advantage and you give yourself an opportunity to get home ice advantage throughout the postseason at certain points. That's that's important, and I, I know that's a long ways down the road, but you look at what the schedule is coming up, you look at how they've performed the past couple of games, and you're hoping that they can take what they've done, especially the fact that they've won in a couple of different ways. It's a close game in overtime. It's a blowout win. It's a, it's a shutout victory where they just played stifling defense or a victory where there's been chances on each another end, and your goaltender has to play very well. I mean, Tristan Jari, as we mentioned, has been really good. He had over 2.5 goals save above expected against the Sabres. That's impressive. That's a good game. That single-handedly got him into the top 15 in the National Hockey League exiting Saturday. So, you know, it's been a good couple of weeks, but the Penguins can't let off the gas, and that's a position that they put themselves in because of their performance in October. Yeah, we we talk about what Jari said following that Anaheim Ducks loss. Um, but I think Mike Sullivan had some had a quote that was just as uh, palpable, if you will. It was that the Penguins are finding ways to lose, and yeah, boy, they in that game specifically, boy, they really found a way to lose that one. Um, 
he followed that up by saying though, like we found we, we keep finding ways to lose. We need to find ways to win. Well, guess what they've done four times in a row now? They have found four different ways to win. Yeah. There was the blowout. There was just kind of holding it down. There was in overtime, again, not necessarily holding it down, but taking it to the extra taking it to the extra period. And we didn't even we never we didn't really discuss how awesome it was watching Brian Russ score. <laughs> scratch, 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 take it back. Wait, we watched Brian Russ score at 1.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> and then pick up another shutout. And also, like, the combined shutout in Anaheim, the uh, overtime with the with your third-string goalie in L.A., and then what, th- what they did in the shutout against Buffalo. There's been a lot of people picking up on the different style that they're playing. Mm-hmm. Again, like, I haven't watched deep enough to really see it, but you can tell there is something different being done out here. Um, it's definitely more of a shutdown pace, but still putting up good numbers and they found four different ways to win. Like mm-hmm. I said, like Mike Sullivan said, we got to find ways to win. We've just done it four different ways. Yeah. Can they keep doing it? Can they find a fifth? Can they find a sixth? Can they just kind of roll over an old way of winning? It's, this is what it's going to be all about for the rest of the season now is finding those ways to win. They now know they can do it against some hot teams against some bad teams. Now you just have to do it against division rivals, which is where things get a little tougher. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially considering all the most of the competition for the rest of the month, like you listed off, currently above them in the standings, <clears throat> but it is still early enough in the season where it's it's darn close. Yeah, the Pittsburgh Penguins, you know, they've rattled off four straight wins and they've gone from the basement of the Eastern Conference to right in the thick of things in both the Metro and the Eastern Conference as a whole. So, you know, it's important to continue to build off these things. And stacking is a word that Kyle Dubas has has mentioned in almost every single one of his press conferences or media availabilities is he wants to be able to stack victories, stack good days, stack positive things. Uh, The Penguins have been doing that over the past week and a half, and you hope that they can continue to do so tonight against the Columbus Blue Jackets, their second Metropolitan Division game of the season. And as you mentioned earlier, Horwat, that first one was a shutout victory on the road against the Washington Capitals in the second game of the season. But the Penguins, they're impressive right now. They're going to hope to continue to do so. And they had a little bit of practice updates yesterday when they took the ice at Cranberry. We'll talk about those after the break. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Horwat, Penguins, four straight wins, but they got a little bit of news here on Tuesday, sorry, on Monday when they took the ice mm-hmm. at Penguins practice. A couple of injury updates to, to give you guys. Jeff Carter missed practice yesterday, dealing with an upper body injury. He did not play on Saturday, but he was considered a healthy scratch. Uh, he did take the pregame warmups or not pregame warmups, excuse me, the morning skate uh, with the Pittsburgh Penguins and then did not play in the game as Vinny Henestrosa slotted back in after being recalled from Wilkes-Barre 
uh, once Tristan Jari was healthy and Joel Blunkfist was returned uh, to the AHL. So interesting that Carter was injured. I don't think there was any wind of this over the weekend. I don't know if you heard anything about him being injured, but I think the general consensus was it was a little bit of a surprise that Jeff Carter wasn't taking practice and taking the ice yesterday in Cranberry. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, so the timeline of events went on Saturday. He took the morning skate. Um, during the day, Vinny Henestrosa was recalled. Uh, and I I thought, I, di- I didn't really know what to make of that because there was no other real mo- Oh, they sent uh, Blomquist uh, back yeah. down. So maybe there was kind of that sort of coinciding uh, movement. Um, and then they came out for the, came out for warmups. Jeff Carter was not there. And then no one asked about it. Um, that may have been part of the reason why no one really knew what was going on mm-hmm. on Saturday specifically or over the weekend because they had the day off on Sunday. Um, but yeah, no one really asked about it. So we didn't get an answer on Saturday. No one said anything from the penguin side of things. Um, and they had that day off on Sunday and then he was absent on Monday leading to the diagnosis of an upper body injury. Mm-hmm. Although one thing to keep in mind here is that Mike Sullivan said in the, the specific quote is that, um, had dealing with an upper body injury, they decided to keep him off the ice today. So we'll mm-hmm. see where things go today. As in today, it was Monday. We'll see where things go today, Tuesday, and going forward. Uh, there haven't been any other moves since, uh, but that's just uh, for Jeff Carter's sake. Something just to keep an eye on. It seems like it might just be a day to day thing. Mm-hmm. The only thing we know right now, upper body was held off the ice on Monday. Yeah, and we'll have to obviously keep an eye out, like you mentioned, about you know morning skate today if he draws back into the lineup tonight. But I, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. see any reason why he would. I, I see why he was put back into the lineup on Thursday was simply because with Jari injured and and injured as we now come to know for just a game was just going to miss a game. You you couldn't put him on LTIR. You couldn't shed his salary cap or roster spot. So you needed to bring up a goaltender to back up. So they had to send down Hidestroza, the only player that was you know eligible to go down without trying to pass through waivers, it was it was a paper transaction. I would not be surprised if Vinny Henestrosa just chilled, you know, either went to the game on, on Thursday night or just chilled in the hotel and waited for the team plane uh, the, the, that, either that night or the following morning. So um, I'm mm-hmm. not exactly sure what the injury could be. Uh, I know, again, the last time he played was Thursday, and I know we were all delirious because he was one in the morning, but it didn't seem like he was any, you know, in any noticeable pain during that game. Uh, nothing coming out of that game, so uh, we'll have to keep an eye on on the phantom injury to Jeff Carter, and you know, sometimes phantom injuries for veteran players lead to uh, the end of their careers. So I don't, I don't know. Uh, we'll have to keep an eye on it. But like you mentioned, uh, what Mike Sullivan said is it makes it seem as if it's just a, a day-to-day or, or a maintenance thing for the 38-year-old center slash winger veteran who. Mike Sullivan said could be a Hall of Famer. Sometimes you just deserve that day off every so often. Which just it, what makes it interesting was the participation in the morning skate, followed by nothing. Yeah, that's kind of where the, at least in my eyes, that's where the <clears throat> the interesting part comes into play. Yeah, there's a chance it could be a big nothing burger, but at the same time, it's worth noting the fact that you know the the guy that you know has been the ire of the Penguins fan base was just not on the ice 
mystically on Monday uh, for Penguins practice. But somebody who was on the ice for Penguins practice for the first time in a long time is defenseman John Ludwig. He practices in a non-contact jersey for the first time since his injury on October 24th, suffering from a concussion, obviously, as we know, that's a very volatile injury. It could be fine one day, bad the next. You can take steps back a lot easier with dealing with a concussion than most other injuries. So we'll see how he's able to progress. Obviously, he'll remain out of the lineup tonight because, you know, you're not going to go from practicing and non-contact to playing in a game, especially with that third pairing being the way that it is where, you know, it's not like he has a solidified role when he is healthy in this Penguins lineup. But we'll see if he practices in full-time you know, full contact jersey anytime soon. Next Penguins practice is scheduled to be for tomorrow, uh, but there's a chance that gets canceled if they go out there and win tonight with the amount of games that are coming up over the next four or five days. Yeah, we'll see how it all goes. John Ludwig did some skating on his own, slash with Alex Nadelkovich uh, prior to other skates. Um, this is the first time he joins the team, and uh, uh, I don't really remember exactly how it went. I think just you know rotating around with the third pairing guys, like I said before, that's all going to be a competition again. <clears throat> it's all going to be who's slotting in where, who's giving the team the best chance to win. Good Mike Sullivanism there. Um, and we'll see where it goes. He looks like he's uh, slowly working his way back, but like you said, concussions are I- impossible to really predict. Uh, Mike Sullivan said they are. Uh, encouraged by the progress he's made, and we'll see where I, it, I would be encouraged with that kind of response time too, considering how bad it looked when it happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I mean, with a concussion, it's always scary, especially with a head injury, just in general, whether he gets concussed or whether it's a neck injury or whatever it ends up being. You know, it's always scary seeing somebody go down in the fashion that he did when he, he was out, he was out before he hit the ice. Yeah, um, yeah. so obviously. Like we said back then, you just hope that there's no residual effects, and it seems as if everything has been positive uh, over the past week, especially since we first had you know, the news that he was skating with Alex Nedeljkovic back in Pittsburgh while the team was in California, and now seeing him rejoin the team uh, just about two weeks after that injury is, is certainly a good sign. Now, the last thing you want to do is rush a guy back, especially somebody coming off of a head injury, but... Man, would it be nice to have that physical presence when the Penguins go up against some of these teams they're about to face. Division matchups against the Hurricanes always get physical against the Devils. They're, you know, they're not known for being a physical team, but that physical presence might help a little bit when you're going up against this young team that has a lot of talent, a lot of skill. You want to disrupt them, get them off the puck. It's a lot easier with somebody that likes to lay the body like Ludwig. And then, you know, Vegas and New York, the Rangers, those two teams. That's when you would like to have a guy of John Ludwig's stature, a guy of John Ludwig's, you know, ilk, the way that he likes to play the Mm -hmm. game. You'd love to have a guy like that in the lineup. Now, again, is this guy somebody that can that can be an everyday NHL player? We don't know. He's played five minutes and 23 seconds of ice time in his NHL career. So you never know what what could happen. But certainly in those five minutes, he showed certain, you know, personality traits that match the scouting report. Uh, that would certainly go into helping the Penguins and potentially being a player that would help the Penguins put the best team on the ice. Another Sullivanism there uh, for for you, Horwat. But, you know, I, I would love to see Ludwig come back and see what he's able to do in some of these division matchups, these tight-checking matchups, especially when you're trying to evaluate what you have on the third line because Joseph and Shea and Ruedel just don't have that dimension of their game uh, very much, if at all. Yeah. <clears throat> they no, no one 
really has it on the team, it seems. Nola Chari <laughs> is leading the team in hits right now. So, like, there is that Achari's, aspect. Achari, or I don't know where Cookie came from. You got to love hockey nicknames. But, you know, Cookie, or Achari, uh, as, as he's called, I've liked what I've seen from him over the past couple weeks. Like, early in the season, yeah. I don't know if it was the Carter thing. I don't know if it was the fact that that line just took a little bit, you know, to get together to begin with because you got two guys that are new to the organization and new to each other. But I've really liked what I've seen from Achari the last couple of weeks, the role that he's starting to carve out in the fourth line. Uh, it's a little bit more defined than we've seen in years past with a guy like Teddy Bluger who was, a, is he going to progress to third line? Is mm -hmm. he going to regress out of the lineup, uh, you know, Nolachari is a guy where you firmly know what he's going to give you night in and night out, which is nice. Yeah, and also, if you, yeah, and if you were curious about the nickname, there's a story on it on the Penguins website. Uh, yeah, it, he's had it since Florida. He's had it for a long time. Hmm. So uh, Keith Yandel gave it to him. That's, so uh, there's that tracks. That tracks. Yeah. So he's had it for a long time. It's fun watching Pittsburgh learn about it. I knew that was his nickname coming in. I just kind of forgot because um, he carried it from Toronto. Mm -hmm. Uh. So like, the nickname stuck around, but as for his play, I, I think at first it wasn't noticeable. His you know body contact and his body uh, play with other, uh, with the opposing teams, but I just glanced and I saw that he was leading the team in hits, and oh, it kind of dawned like yeah, he is still in that uh, physical game. That's what the Penguins needed for that fourth line specifically, um, and then adding John Ludwig to it could be huge. So. Um, the team, other than those two, though, and that's re there's that's really it physicality-wise. We know, despite uh, Zahorna's size, he's not going to throw it around mm -hmm. as much as maybe he should or maybe, you know, needs to. Um, but I just, for a long time now, for however many years now, this has always been a team predicated on speed and skill. We're losing the speed a little bit, but the skill is still there mm -hmm. quite in, in bunches for quite a few guys. Yeah, other than Achari and Ludwig, I'd say probably the third most likely or willingness to hit or something like that is probably Chris Letang. Like, Letang loves – he is yeah. sneaky physical. And when he hits, mm -hmm. it's not a small hit either. He lines people up. Um, and, and it all goes to the, the all-encompassing game that he's brought to the table this year, which is, uh, you know, I can't say enough about what he's looked like over the first quarter of the season to this point. So, uh, definitely, you know, some uh, – definitely a trait that the penguins don't have in spades but a trait that they do have you know in certain positions but yeah i would throw brian rust in on that too but and yeah. not necessarily from a hitting perspective but from a getting against the boards going into the physical mm -hmm. grimier areas of the game i think he's in that uh in that conversation as well just in a different way in mike sullivan's term of physicality yeah yeah Pl a willingness to go into the dirty areas and do the work brian rust is one of the best not to mention the brian rust you mentioned he does lay the body but he's never gonna he's never gonna get that well you know the edgar snyder's and associates hit of the game is a joke anymore they should just not do it i get that it's a yeah. it's a thing like i get that you're getting paid to do it but like when when Redeem Zahorna gets his skates knocked, you know, basically off in Los Angeles, and the hit of the game is Jeff Carter like grinding on somebody like it's a middle school dance. Like that's uh, that's when you need to notice that hey, we need to be able to to do a little bit better with this segment. Yeah, I think, and that's turned off all to their own. Like like you mentioned, it's it's just the way the game has evolved. Also, mm -hmm. it's no longer like back when it was the subway sandwich of the game. We still had guys just absolutely ripping into each other yeah, right like you still Orbex, had the big Ian Coles you still had the big open ice hits um the the big 
body slams into the boards or even over the into the benches like the good old days. Now it now it really is just uh, here's a minor tap after a guy had already dumped the puck and someone decided just to not stop. It's just the way the game has evolved now. So yeah. it's through no fault of their own. It definitely was a popular and watchable uh, feature of televised games back in the day but now it is just kind of whatever i guess now it's kind of yeah this is the time to go refill your water bottle uh that was and that was our old man yells at cloud segment of the day for here on the tip of the iceberg but let's <laughs> let's get back to uh to the practice updates here meanwhile alex nadelkovich has yet to join the team he wasn't in a non-contact jersey he wasn't in a full contact jersey in fact he was in an extra contact jersey wearing a miles garrett cleveland browns jersey on the side Horwat, you captured the moment. Uh, a lot of people took that and ran with it on Twitter, including <laughs> Kyle Dubas, who said, you know what? I like your tweet, Horwat. I like your tweet. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, I just, first of all, the picture's awful. Um, <laughs> it, but I, I just caught it, and I I just saw a 95 just walking around. I went, "Is who's who's 95? I genuinely did have to Google it to make sure that was Miles Garrett, because um, I don't pay attention to the Browns. Who do you think I am? Um, but it's... Uh, yeah, and also the second I realized it's a Browns jersey, I didn't have to think any further of who it was. I was like, okay, that's clearly Alex Nadelkovich, a Cleveland native, um, wearing a Cleveland jersey. I also didn't realize it was Browns week until mid-afternoon. It is. Yes. Late afternoon. So it's uh, good on him. I, I respect the hell out of that move. Um, and, you know, you, always, you should be always supporting your team. Yeah. And you can support your sure. football team. You play hockey. That's perfectly fine. And... Uh, just a good little fun, entertaining moment that really nothing else really happened from it. I just took no. a picture of it, saw that he was wearing it. That's all we needed. Just a nice little lighthearted moment. This team is full of lightheartedness at, at the moment. So it's, it was really nice. Really well, cool. Well, Horwell, let's, let's throw on our Big J journalism caps because Steelers, Browns, 1 o'clock this Sunday. Alex Nadelkovich eligible to return from LTIR Sunday against the Las Vegas Golden Knights at 6 p.m. Does he... While he's crying into his his Miles Garrett jersey after they lose to the Steelers, <laughs> does he end up starting against the Vegas Golden Knights on Sunday? I would say no, probably not. It is the second half of a back to back for the Pittsburgh Penguins, yeah. but uh, I I doubt that he returns simply because he has yet to practice. Not to mention that you're not going to rush you know him back whenever you do need to figure things out with Jeff Carter who is injured with Vinny Henestrosa who would likely be the guy sent down. He's the only guy that's eligible to be sent down without having to clear waivers or that third pairing defense. So a lot of moving and shaking that might happen here in the next five days and all circles around the return of one Alex Nadalkovich, AKA miles Garrett. Yes. Yeah, so, um, the fact that it is the second half of a back-to-back -back with travel does kind of, you know, make you wonder if he will, but that also in the, on the other, on the flip side of the coin, genuinely could also mean well why would we throw him in on the second half back-to-back -back with travel i mean maybe you keep him in pittsburgh and say he'll be back tomorrow for sure he's mm -hmm. not the one traveling so you kind of have an awake goalie but you know the <clears throat> the days that that no time in between to make your decisions get the that we have to do this with this person this with this person this with this person okay go while on a plane ride home uh is a little more difficult mm -hmm. Uh, at, as opposed to having straight up two days off after the game in Vegas. So I would assume he also doesn't play just for the sake of you'll have more time to make your decisions in the following days. Uh, and Magnus Helberg has looked pretty solid in his uh, mm -hmm. spot appearances. And, you know, going into this year, uh, Dubas and Sullivan wanted 
three goalies that could be capable. Because mm-hmm. now in this league, and we've already seen it, um, you need three goalies, essentially. They don't have to be you know, 1A, 1B, 2, or even 1A, 1B, 1C. They can, like Carolina, they can be a a 1, maybe a 2, and they could be an awesome, an awesome 3, maybe even a 2B. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what Magnus Helberg has played like so far. Uh, a good 2B for the Chopper, by the way. Best nickname on the team. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely a fan of that one. Uh, the cookie, cookie caught me off guard. Chopper again is convoluted as it gets to get to it, but you know, at the same time, hockey nicknames are what they are for a reason because hockey players are more creative than they lead on in their media briefings. But we're gonna take a quick break. When we return, multiple former Pittsburgh Penguins had a big weekend. We'll talk about that one to close out the show. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Multiple Pittsburgh Penguins, former Penguins at that, were honored over the weekend. We did not get the chance to discuss it until now, so let's bring it up. Yarmir Yager, the news hit on Friday with a couple of different videos that the Penguins released. It was rumored about about 10 a.m., and by 1 p.m., it was all out in the open, and the tickets to February 18th game against the Los Angeles Kings grew 500% because I looked about an hour after the news and I can't afford that. But the news being the great Yarmir Yager will have his number 68 retired by the Penguins prior to that game on February 18th. He becomes the third Penguin to have their number retired next to Mario Lemieux, of course, and Michelle Briere's 21. Uh, it's been a long time coming for Yogs and really... This whole idea picked up steam a lot last year after Phil Bork visited Yager and Czechia kind of bridged the gap between the Penguins organization and Yarmir Yager. So you got to give credit to, to Phil Bork for extending the olive branch and also for Kevin Acklin. I think that's somebody who goes very under the radar and what he's been able to do for this organization in the short time that he's been in the specific position that he's been in. Uh, Acklin, you know, you look at the arena upgrades this offseason, you look at you know, what the team has looked like from a business standpoint since he's taken charge and some of the things that have been able to to occur. I mean, the return of the Robo Penguin, I'm not exactly sure how much of an impact that he had on that with the Adidas reverse retros last season. Uh, but that was also another little thread between the Penguins and Yarmir Yager last season when yeah. Jason Zucker in the first time wearing those Robo Pens in, what, 18 years did the Yager salute. So, you know, and Yager interacted with that. So it seems like the two have been coming together slowly throughout the past couple of seasons. Uh, and it's all going to come to a head on February 18th when Yager returns to Pittsburgh to be immortalized forever in the rafters at PPG Paints Arena. It's it's going to be an awesome day. It's going to be an awesome moment. The, the lead up to it's going to be so much fun just to look forward to it. Uh, I think it was Jesse Marshall tweeted, tweeted the response of how am I supposed to wait for this? How am I supposed yeah. to live in knowing this is going to happen? Um, it's, it's going to be an awesome, awesome day. It's just for the, for the player, for the team. Uh, Josh gets off on the Jeff Merrick show said for the, for the building, the, the, the building <clears throat> has had some awesome moments <clears throat> in terms of like games and, you know, just other events happening, but it hasn't had something like this, mm-hmm. something that, um, an entire city is going to be able to get around. Everyone that has discussed that I've discussed this jersey retirement with away from, you know, just from regular hockey fans, they're all <clears throat> amped about it. They're all 
Yager was my favorite player as a kid. Was my favorite this growing up. Was this, that, the This, like, Lemieux saved the team. There's no doubt about that. What Lemieux did was phenomenal. There's something about Yager that resonates. I don't want to, it's not necessarily more than Lemieux, but a little, to a different degree with mm-hmm. fans. That I think his skill was just so off the charts that, um, you know, he, he, he himself saved the franchise in his own way. It wasn't just buying it. It wasn't just having the money to support it. It was physically on the ice doing incredible things in the most clutch of situations. Um, This is going to be an awesome time, and all kudos to Bork for going over there and um, mending that that relationship. All kudos to Kevin Ackland for getting, probably getting the ball rolling on all of this. Um, And everyone else involved. I think Lemieux said a couple years ago, I think, that eventually it'll happen. Um, and maybe that's really kind of what set the seeds, but regardless, it's, uh, you don't, you also, I, I, I'm not big on the long overdue conversation of this because he is still playing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because he is still physically playing over in, uh, Czechia for his, the team he owns. So I think that part kind of gets lost on me a little bit. Like I, I don't think it's overdue necessarily because he is still playing hockey, um, and because part of the plan was always that he was going to be retired first. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe this is where he announces it, but who knows? We, yeah. You never know. We don't know. We don't know until February 18th. Uh, so we'll see. But uh, regardless, it is it is going to be an awesome moment, A, for the franchise, B, for the player, and for the building. It's all going to come together, and I can't wait to see it all unfold. Can't wait to see all of it happen. I am genuinely curious as to what the banner is going to look like, though. This is just the me being a nerd. What is it going to look like? Do they do the gradient? I mean, when he <clears throat> when he saved the franchise, as some would say, he was wearing the gradient. So mm-hmm. maybe it's that, or maybe it just matches the one that Mario Lemieux had. But I, I don't know. He didn't wear that enough. Yeah, that's very you true. <clears throat> I also think, could they change Marius? Could they put that back to its former glory of the white and yellow? I think that would look the best, personally. Yeah, I, I, think, I, so I think that would look the best. But at the at the end of the day, I mean, you look at what Yager was able to do. He played for nine different teams when he was in the NHL, but left his biggest mark on the Penguins in his 11 yeah, seasons absolutely. in Pittsburgh. I mean, back-to-back Stanley Cups in his first two years. He was a five-time Art Ross winner. Think about that. Five out of the 11 years that he was in Pittsburgh, he won the scoring title. Eight-time All-Star, 1,079 points in 806 games. I mean, Yager was a different breed. And, and the one thing, and I don't want this to, to sound as a, as a diss on Evgeny Malkin, we just haven't gotten the opportunity, is everybody asks, you know, what would Evgeny Malkin look like if he didn't play with Sidney Crosby? And we've gotten that in short spurts when Crosby was out for half a year here, half a season here. We got that a lot more with Yarmir Yager without Mario Lemieux, and he was just as good, if not better, than he was when he was playing with Mario Lemieux. I mean, Yager proved that he is the guy. I mean, there's a reason that nobody outside of Wayne Gretzky has scored more points than Yarmir Yager, and it's not just because he played until the wheels fell off, which is has yet to happen as he continues to play for Kladno over in, over in the Czechia. Yeah, Yager with the Rangers was nuts. I think, yeah, I, think I hated it. I forget that. <laughs> I hate it. That was Absolutely. nuts. I mean that playoff series. I I wanted to get. I asked Sid about uh, what he remembers about playing against Crosby. I was hoping he'd go a little more into. I threw that series in there. I was hoping he'd get a little more, but 
uh, Crosby and Crosby had a very Crosby answer. Yeah. That being said, that, Keep it here. that playoff series was wild. We were children, and I can remember just that entire... I think it was a short series, but still. Yager was unreal. Um, you could see, once. then he went to the KHL, and then once he came back, you could kind of tell that things were a little different. He was definitely aged. Um, uh, but, I mean, you can't argue that he still looked incredible. He still played some 82-game seasons down there over the age of 40. Um, and just was still considered an all-star, was still receiving votes on so many different uh, awards and still putting up respectable numbers for a mm-hmm. 40-plus-year-old, no yep. matter where he was playing. Um, never reached the same glory as you know the playoffs or Stanley Cup, but just the fact that he was still in the league and still playing and still able to be an NHL rostered player. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible stuff, and it... No, no wonder he's second all time in points. Yeah, not that they're in the same stratosphere, but look at what happened to Ilya Kovalchuk when he went over to the KHL, then tried co- making a comeback. He was, yeah. he was, he was done. Like he was, he was dead in the water when he returned to the NHL after his time in the KHL. Meanwhile, Yager comes over. It's not that he didn't miss a beat, but he was still, like you mentioned, a very solid third line bottom six player that could score goals yeah. and could go out there and sell jerseys for sure but uh no yeah yager was uh yager was still yaramir yager you know and, and that's the thing that is going to be interesting to see you know i'm excited for his speech i'm excited for all the social events that he does i know that he might not be maybe maybe steige can take him back to ross park mall see if he can find another you know jean jacket or canadian tuxedo and you know i, I think it'll be a lot of fun not just that day like you mentioned but the week leading up to it the week yeah you know all the events surrounding yarmir yager i'm sure lemieux will be there which all these people that are clamoring about lemieux not being around can shut up for a week uh you know maybe you see recce come back Barras who knows maybe barrasso is feeling a little bit <laughs> there's no way <laughs> there's, but you know speaking of barrasso though uh <laughs> yeah speaking of barrasso though we'll get to barrasso in a second but you yeah. know the former penguins that will be in town the 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 pictures of, I'm assuming, if they don't, then I'm going to have to call Kevin Acklin myself. But you need a picture with Lemieux, Yager, Crosby, and Malkin all in their jerseys just because I don't think we have that. And that needs to be had for, you know, for PPG Paints Arena and just for, for uh-huh. Penguins Nation as a whole. You need to see what that looks like. And obviously, you need to see those four all in the same space. That's, uh, that's Penguins Nirvana right there. But speaking of... Four players that mean a lot to the Pittsburgh Penguins organization after Yarmir Yager's number 68 is forever immortalized in the rafters of PPG Paints Arena. Who's following him? Who else is going up there? Because there's four players, the four horsemen mm-hmm. of the salary cap era for the Pittsburgh Penguins and Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, and of course, former Penguin Marc-Andre Fleury that are all probably the top candidates for that one. But the first question I have for you, Horwat. Do they all make it up there to begin with? Like, eventually, do you see all four of those jersey numbers immortalized alongside 66, 68, and 21? Uh, eventually, I believe all four will get up there, yeah. it's uh, Malkin and Crosby are the easy ones. The obvious, yeah, of course, duh. Yeah. My thought process is, following that, though, is if you're doing Crosby-Malkin, you have to do Latang. You just have to. After all of the years together, after all the records they're putting together, just as a... It, as, a team of North American sports. I mean, they, they're breaking Yankee records. Mm-hmm. Like this is, you almost have to. And then it help. It really does help that Latang has solidified himself as the greatest defenseman in Penguins history, both offensively. He's really getting there defensively this year. Um, 
there is an awesome, awesome moment that can be had of those three sharing uh, the rafters. And I posed this question to you. Oh, and as for Flurry, I think that one will also happen. I think it should. I think mm-hmm. there might be people fighting back on that, which is weirdo energy. Yeah, we could have a. Um, I want to have a little bit of a deeper discussion about Flurry, but I mean, like you mentioned with with Latang, they're the the trio, North American Sports yeah. trio. Jorge Posada's numbers retired by the Yankees. Is there a, a team that, one, retires more numbers, but two, for good reason, than the New York Yankees? If Jorge Posada has his number retired, it's for good reason. So, you know, if you're making that apples and apple, uh, apples to oranges, really, baseball and hockey and the Yankees and Penguins, a team that retires every jersey versus a team that has two retired jerseys in 55 years, um, if you're making that comparison, then right there, Jorge Posada went into the, into the Yankees' immortality with his number retired. But I think that almost sells Latang's career short. I mean, you look at not just the things that he's went through, but you look at the the way that he's been able to play and the you know the longevity that he's had with different players. I mean, he played with Brooks Orpik for a while. He played alongside Sergey Gonchar a little bit. He played with Brian Dumoulin for a long time. Now he's getting his feet underneath him with Ryan Graves and playing some of the best hockey that I've personally seen or that I can personally remember seeing it, you know, Chris Latang play. And it's not just that, hey, he's an offensive force. He has been. He's had those seasons. Mm-hmm. But he's been so good defensively the older he gets he's getting better at that defensive end and he's making you know more adjustments to be better in that defensive end especially this season you know I, I don't want to say like I get where you're coming from like hey if it's Crosby and Malkin you almost have to throw Latang in there but I think that does sell him short a little bit just on the outside I know that you're not doing that intentionally I, I'm not saying that but I, I think it does sell him short a little bit to to <laughs> just say that and I know you're not but like he has done so much in his career that it's really, you know, emblematic of what it means to be a Pittsburgh Penguin, which is just perseverance, fighting through it, working hard, and getting the job done. And he's a three-time Stanley Cup champion for a reason, and he's led this defense for 15 years at this point. Uh, he certainly deserves that honor. Not to mention, I mean, Penguins' defensive leader in games played, in goals, assists, points, all of that stuff. So everything. Yeah. So so you definitely something that while I am usually protective of whose number gets retired. I think when you get to these four, it it just becomes, you know, it becomes simple. And that includes Marc-Andre Fleury, who, you know, hindsight being 2020, he should have never, he should have never left, right? The Penguins should have never allowed him to walk out the door. Um, but again, that's hindsight. That is, that is, it, but it also, it just, it is what it is. At the time, I think we all agreed the, it was the right decision at the time. Yeah. It just was, but when you look back on it with rose-colored glasses, everything you know, but but yeah, nobody could regardless, have, nobody I mean, could have uh, imagined that Mark, Matt Murray would be out of the out of the league before Mark Andre Fleury. Yeah, no, not one bit, not <laughs> one bit. But that being said, I, yeah, it, the Latang conversation does boil down to you absolutely do have to, no matter what, because of his own recognition mm-hmm. and because of um, what he did with those three. The flurry one is also necessary. He set the standard for Penguins goaltending forever. Um, you could, I mean, he set the standard for Penguins goaltending forever, taking it over from a guy that you genuinely could have tossed in this conversation ten years ago. You know, <clears throat> I think, I think the uh, Tom Barrasso conversation has passed, which is unfortunate, but kind of just is what it is. Um, and I think what holds a lot of people up from retiring numbers like 58 and 29 are just how stubborn they can be because they realize that the Penguins have only retired two numbers in their entire franchise history. They've had plenty of names that could have been. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I forget where I read it. I believe it was Rossi's article in The Athletic that they did ask uh, Paul Coffey's permission for Jeff Carter to wear 77 when he got here, which I find fascinating. Uh, so there is definitely this sense of the Penguins have had legendary players. They could have easily retired more, but they didn't. So the fans get stubborn because the Penguins have been stubborn about it in their own right. I mean, they have the right to be because, you, I, I, like I said, yeah, they've had legendary players, but uh, Paul Coffey's not known as a Penguin, really, right? Mm-hmm. He won four cups with the uh, Edmonton Oilers. That's kind of where his legacy sits. Like, Yeah, he had great years with the Penguins as well, but his legacy really does sit with the Oilers. Larry Murphy... He's in the conversation, but also, like, played with a bunch of other teams. Ron Francis could be up there, but again, played with a couple other teams. Mostly Carolina, where his number is rightfully retired. Um, And I think, you know, the conversation then spills into Crosby, Malk, and Latang Fleury. Those four absolutely should be. The, the question I pose to you that we can spend a quick couple seconds on this, mm-hmm. at least in the terms of the core, the three that we have now, Crosby, Malk, and Latang. Do they get their own ceremonies, or is it all at once? Not a chance in in hell that I force them to have those ceremonies together. They each deserve their own night. They each deserve their own celebration. I, I think that would be a gross miscalculation. Um, and, and I, so far from what he's shown, I think Kevin Acklin is smarter than that. So they each get their own night, for sure. In, in my eyes, I, I don't think you can do it any other way. Yeah, I, I, I posed the question and then immediately was like, no, they would have to have their own night. But then my mind started racing to a thousand different directions of, well, maybe they don't do it before a game. Maybe it is their own day. Like, they there is no game that day. It's just their own ceremony. They're selling out the, selling out the arena for. They all get their own sort of... It essentially becomes a five-hour event. <laughs> it is the... We're going to trot out all the former players, all the former teammates. Now here comes the men of the hour for their own long speeches, their own jersey going up one at a time, maybe. I don't know. I'm, I, the I'll do, event planner in me started turning this into a thing. I'll, I'll do you one better. I, I just, for some reason, I just came up with the perfect idea based off of what you said. You have a, a, a homestand where you have at least three games. You have a banquet. <laughs> the, you have a banquet with speeches and everything the night before, and then each of the three games, you go down the line. Latang, Malkin, finish it off. Sidney Crosby's number goes up into the rafters, right in between them, higher, like the hierarchy of the two on the bottom, one on the top. Crosby has to be up on the top. And, and that's how you do it. So you have a full week. You can sell tickets to the banquet. There's your business side, Penguins. And then, of course, you have the three games where each night each player gets their game, and they have to be against the team that they scored the most points against. So you have to get the NHL scheduling <laughs> in on this as well. So the Penguins and Islanders will be the last one for Crosby. <laughs> It'll be, uh, I don't remember who Malkin tears up. The Hurricanes. I want to say the Capitals. The Capitals Ooh, he does pretty good, good against. The, Hur- the Hurricanes and the Capitals and whoever, Latang. Whoever Latang Dallas for some reason. <laughs> yeah, Dallas. Bring in, bring in the Stars, sure. Uh, but, or, no, no, the Panthers. He has a lot of goals Panthers, against the yeah. Panthers. I mean, part of that's the four-point game he had last season. But, you know, at the end of the day, I do think they all deserve their own day to watch their number go up in the rafters. Um, and I think it would be special regardless. Um, I, I do think it happens for all four eventually. But, uh, again, not at the same time. But, uh, yeah. 
closing it out really quickly, we talked about this a lot whenever the news first broke that Tom Barrasso was going to go into the Hall of Fame. So you can always go back and listen to that episode for our full, long, extended thoughts uh, on Tom Barrasso and his immortality as a Hockey Hall of Famer and his time as a Pittsburgh Penguin, what he means to the organization. But, you know, congrats to the former Penguins netminder. He goes into the Hall of Fame last night, officially uh, gives his speech. He, he thanked a couple of people, including the Pittsburgh Penguins teammates that he had. Uh, mentioned Mario Lemieux, obviously, as the genesis of why he was brought to Pittsburgh. Um, talked about a little bit about Tony Esposito, who was the general manager that brought him over. Talked about Craig Patrick, who was his general manager for a long time uh, when he was with the Penguins. Not only that, but the man that gave him an opportunity to be an Olympian. Um, so definitely go check that out. It was on NHL Network on Monday evening. Uh, it is on the Penguins website right now. And obviously Tom Barrasso is highly, you know, more so a forgotten piece of those 91-92 championship teams. But, I mean, he was really that first piece that said, you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins are coming because he was traded to Pittsburgh in 1988. Obviously, you had Mario Lemieux, but that was the first chance you really got to see that, hey, they're going to make some trades here and they're going to try to build this team into a championship team from players on the outside because after that you saw, you know, you saw the Francis's of the world. You saw, you know, Kevin Stevens emerge. You saw, um, you know, Paul Coffey come to the Pittsburgh Penguins, I believe, in either 89 or 90. Can't remember at the moment. And then you saw the drafting of Yarmir Yager. So, you know, Barrasso was there before a lot of it. And it was really the addition of him as a goaltender for the Penguins that kind of sparked things around. But congratulations to him becoming the 15th Penguin as a player to enter the Hockey Hall of Fame. And he goes in there with two other goaltenders and Henrik Lundqvist and Mike Vernon on Monday night. Yeah, Paul Coffey arrived in 87, 88, so... Okay, so Coffey was here before um, that. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, but still, yeah, it's... I was negative eight Tom years Barrasso. old, and so were you, so, I mean, it's hard to remember when you weren't around. No, yeah, it's whatever. <laughs> it's whatever. <laughs> but no, yeah, it's um, it's just Tom Barrasso, like I, like I said a few moments ago, too. Yeah. It, this That's a conversation you could have had about terms of retirement 10 years ago, mm-hmm. um, just for sake of what he did do with the penguins because it was vital to um a those two stanley cups hell huge to the president's trophy he had they had they put it the next year um and for many years following off ice stuff is kind of what gets in the way of a lot of things especially when it comes to hall of fame voting mm-hmm. uh you know jersey retirements it just it, it is what it is it's the reason why so many people won't get in the baseball hall of fame it's why a lot of people won't get into the hockey hall of fame or wait so long uh, regardless, he's getting what he deserves here with a Hall of Fame induction, uh, and you know he meant meant way more in Penguins history than the people realize. So it's all a well-deserved honor. Yeah, and not only that, the Pittsburgh Penguins added him to their mural outside the locker rooms. So uh, another little little tip of the cap to to the. I thought that was the always 1990s. there, but so did I. I believe that. Yeah, but yeah. hey, it's it's cool that it's there, regardless. Yeah, regard it. It's meant to be there. It should be there. So it's good that it is there. Um, so congratulations to Tom Barrasso. Congratulations to Yarmir Yager. We're obviously going to talk about this in, man, we still got three months till that happens. So uh, we, we we got three months to, to sit here and talk about it, to get excited about the uh, Yarmir Yager jersey retirement. And between now and then, hopefully the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, supplement it with a heck of a lot of wins starting tonight against the Columbus Blue Jackets. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you guys next time.